The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. than 40% of people in their 40s and 50s have both an aging parent and a child under the age of 21. Caring for people in multiple generations demands time, love, attention, and more. Welcome to Caught Between Generations with your host, Dr. Merrill Griff. Our program will bring you the information you need as a family caregiver for everyone for whom you care, with guest experts and resources to help you keep sane and organized. Now, here is Dr. Meryl Griff. Welcome to Caught Between Generations, and I am Dr. Merrill. So our guest today is Dr. Mel Pohl, and Dr. Pohl is a board-certified family practitioner who specializes in treating chronic pain and co-occurring addiction. He's the medical director at the Las Vegas Recovery Center. He's also the co-author of a book entitled The Pain Antidote, The Proven Program to Help You Stop Suffering from Chronic Pain, Avoid Addiction to Painkillers, and Reclaim Your Life. I thought this was a very interesting title, actually, that resonated with me. You know, at Sarah Care, we often care for people with chronic conditions who also have chronic pain. So the phrase, reclaim your life, really, really hit home with me because we not only care for the seniors who we care for every day, but also their family caregivers. And it's very, very important. I think that you'll hear today that Dr. Paul has not only helped many, many people who are suffering from chronic pain reclaim their lives, but as a result, he's also helped many, many family members also reclaim their lives. So in addition to talking about Um, pain antidotes and uh, addiction to pain medications. We're also going to be discussing some, uh, shall we say, hot topics today. Mm. We're going to be talking about adolescents, uh, your teenagers, and how easily they are able to access addictive pain medications and what that's all about. And we're also going to be asking Dr. Paul his opinion about the legalization of marijuana. I think this is going to be very interesting. So, Dr. Paul, welcome to Caught Between Generations. Thanks, Meryl. It's great to be here. Oh, it's great to have you. So, Dr. Paul, can you define chronic pain for us and tell us how it's different from other types of pain? Sure. Well, let's start with the acute pain, which is it's kind of the reason pain exists. Uh, acute pain is break your leg or you have an infection or a a, a laceration or a surgical incision, the pain that we feel signals that something's wrong. And as a result of that signal, we take care of that area. If you didn't know that your leg was broken, you would continue to walk on it and soon it would point in two different directions. So chronic pain is a different process. The only thing acute pain and chronic pain have in common is the word pain. But Picture a, a, 
back, a swollen disc or a ruptured disc in, in uh, the lumbar area or a, sh- a shoulder with a torn rotator cuff or uh, chronic headaches. This is pain that's been around for at least three to six months and isn't going away. It's there and it's, it's a reverberating signal inside the, the brain and it really takes on a life of its own. Uh, so when we talk about chronic pain, we're really talking about a condition that plagues the person who has it. And it's much less about the hardware that's involved in pain, uh, acute pain, but more about the software and the way the, the signal is processed by the brain. You know, it, it seems to me that every time I turn around, I'm talking to someone else who has chronic pain. So I don't have the stats to back this up. And maybe it's because I'm getting older and the other people I'm talking to are also getting older. I mean, this could have something to do with it. Right. But, but it just seems to me that the chronic pain is is getting more prevalent. I, I mean, is that accurate? I mean, and, and if it's so, why is it such a problem? Yeah. Well, I think that we are noticing chronic pain more. We're diagnosing more conditions associated with chronic pain, and we're paying more attention to it. Now, we're going to talk about the opioid epidemic as we uh, go on in the show, but uh, there's been a whole lot of hype coming from the pharmaceutical industry that really says this is a big problem and that the proper treatment of this is opioids, and you can't turn on the TV without a commercial for either the pain medication or the medicine for the constipation caused by the pain medication, uh, if you know what I'm talking about, opiate-induced constipation. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, the, but the point is, we are an aging uh, population, and as we age, we damage things. You know, we're, we're wear and tear on the joints and the bones and the ligaments and the tendons uh, is a function of aging, and as we live longer, Lives and we suffer from more conditions that can can cause injury and and uh, inflammation. We're going to have more people with pain. So I think it's a a combination of a heightened consciousness that's been driven by people who want to sell drugs legally and uh, a population that really does have more painful uh, symptoms. Um, so I, I that's how I that's how I understand it. So in your book, you talk about the two groups of pain medications. Can you, can you explain that to us? Sure. Well, uh, the first group are medicines that don't uh, cause tolerance and habituation and eventually dependence. Uh, we're talking about drugs that lower inflammation at the site of the pain, like ibuprofen or Tylenol or uh, naproxen or uh, uh, any of the, they're called NSAIDs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medications. They, they work at the, at the edge of the pain, at the periphery. Uh, and there's a variety of things that also work there, like some antidepressants actually cause pain to go down. We know uh, about the um, tricyclics. There's a drug called amitriptyline, very old drug that makes people uh, sleepy, which is actually good for chronic pain. So it can be used for the uh, nerve irritation associated with a condition like diabetes. Uh, and then there's seizure medicines like uh, Neurontin, or the generic name for that, Scabapentin, that act on the uh, calcium channel in the cell, and it ends up causing the 
nerve pain to diminish. Uh, and there are topical things, things you can actually put on the skin that get absorbed and cause a decrease in pain. There's uh, anti-inflammatories can be put on lidoderm, which is a form of lidocaine, you know, a numbing agent. Uh, and, and we also use the uh, gabapentin capsule dissolved in a, in a gel that causes a decrease in pain. So those are all, I think, appropriate treatments for pain. Uh, and they, they, they will help to some degree with varying degrees of success in, in, in different patients. The second kind of medication is opioids, uh, narcotics, uh, and the, the drugs that are in that class are hydrocodone and oxycodone and morphine and uh, methadone and uh, Dilaudid or Demerol and heroin. I mean, those are, you know, we're really talking about a class of drugs that are heroin pills in essence. So the, the approach in our medical community is to see somebody who has pain that's unrelenting, that's gone on more than six months, and to try and make it go away. And opioids are the, the, the most uh, utilized medication to do this. And unfortunately, opioids are not the right treatment for chronic pain, as it turns out. Uh, there's a number of reasons for that. One is that they stop working after a while because we develop tolerance. The body develops a need for more medicine to give us the effect. They cause physical dependence, so we're, we're really hooked on them. And the result of being physically dependent is that between doses, we feel more pain. And then the third is that there's a phenomenon called opiate-induced hyperalgesia. Big term basically means more pain on the opioid than off the opioid. It's a, it's a backfire situation. Uh, so, uh, and not to mention significant side effects from these medications like problems thinking and uh, sleep uh, apnea and uh, constipation is, is a very serious problem for people with chronic pain uh, who are taking opioids. Um, and hormone problems and immune system problems are all potential uh, side effects of these medicines. So the, the first group is what I would consider safe and appropriate. The second group, the opioids, are fraught with problems. And, you know, they've led us to an epidemic of, of uh, dependence and overdose that uh, has gotten the attention, of course, of the president and of, of the legislatures uh, and the states and medical societies and the CDC. I mean, there's a, a general outcry from a variety of areas saying we're in trouble because we can't successfully treat chronic pain with opioids. It, is the outcry because of that or the outcry because of the addiction or or both? <laughs> it's a confusing situation. I sit on a committee of physicians in my state and we, we talk about this problem all the time and some physicians think that this is a problem of bad players, you know, bad actors. These are these nasty drug addicts who come in and they lie to you and they're, they're you know, they're, they're trying to game the system to get high. That is not the biggest part of the problem, Merrill. The biggest part of the problem is people who go to the doctor with a legitimate pain complaint, get on these medications, and soon they're taking higher and higher doses and they can't stop. Sometimes they take them with sleeping medications like Valium or Ambien, and they overdose and die. Those are the patients that are overdosing uh, invariably. So it's a twofold uh, phenomenon, but the, the majority of patients who are in trouble with opioids have, are, have pain, and they go in to try and get that pain relieved. 
So there is a difference between addiction and dependence. So what's the difference between those two things? You're asking very good questions. (laughs) Um, Thank you. (laughs) Addiction is defined as the pathological pursuit of reward, getting high, or relief. So people with chronic pain, of course, for the most part, are looking to get relief from their pain. Uh, It turns out that they're also looking to get relief from anxiety and fear and frustration and depression uh, and anger. So they medicate these symptoms in an attempt to get relief and they end up needing more drug. Is that addiction? Not by uh, clinical definition, but what we, we see at, at Las Vegas Recovery Center where I work, we see a phenomenon that we call complex dependence. So it's not addiction where people are chewing their pills inappropriately or they're going to the street or they're turning from uh, morphine to heroin, uh, but it's people who want to be out of pain so badly that they're stuck on these drugs and their connection with the pain is related in some really pathological way to taking these drugs. And and that unhealthy relationship has inadvertently caused the kinds of problems that uh, we're talking about, which whether they're addiction or not is, is not the issue. Uh, we, we, we see people here who have the, the complex dependence and they sit in groups with people who have addiction and there are similarities that are quite striking uh, in their treatment. Well, we, uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we return, we're going to be talking to Dr. Paul about the impact of certain things such as emotions and also food on pain and how control of these types of factors can help you to reduce your pain. We'll be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. At Sarah Care, we provide daytime activities and health related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities at home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H care.com. What causes us to be sick? We're not talking about the actual illness or the scientific cause of illnesses. We're talking about your body and health. Listen for the healing whisper of Return to Peace. Each week, host Dr. Marianne Chase shows you how to listen to your heart to identify poor health, stress, and disease. You'll learn how to heal energetically and spiritually as well as physically. It's time to depend less on the drugs and more on the heart. The Healing Whisper airs live every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. 
your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. To Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Caught Between Generations. I'm Dr. Merrill. We've been here with Dr. Mel Paul who is the co-author of The Pain Antidote, the proven program to help you stop suffering from chronic pain, avoid addiction to painkillers, and reclaim your life. And I will tell you that this book has some interesting jumpstart plans for a variety of disorders such as fibromyalgia. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a very, very interesting book um, that I would highly recommend. Dr. Paul, um, talk to us about chronic pain and does it actually result in changes in your brain? We really have learned over the last probably decade is that when we have a recurrent signal, let's say I have a bulging disc in my back. I love to talk about it. So I have this disc, presses on a nerve, sends a signal up my spine, the signal doesn't really become pain until it hits a particular part of the brain, the middle, middle part of the brain, where there's a whole lot of things going on, not the least of which is emotional. And what we've defined now is that if we look at people who have back pain that's only lasted a month, so that would be acute pain, there's one particular area of that middle brain that lights up called the thalamus. If we look at people who have pain more than a year, it's an entirely different area of the brain that lights up. And it's the part of the brain, as it turns out, where the emotions are lodged. And it it makes good sense. I mean, I I work with my patients here in Las Vegas, and I ask them about chronic pain, and 80% of what they tell me, sometimes 90% of what they tell me, is that it frustrates and makes me angry and anxious and want to tear my hair out, and I'm depressed and I can't sleep. It's all the things, the, the feelings and the consequences of those terrible feelings that make up the majority of the experience of chronic pain. So I want to, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to finish and say I get in trouble with patients because they they look at me and and with frustration and and often anger saying, are you telling me my pain is in my head? The the woman I'm thinking of, uh, you know, I didn't know what else to say except to say, well, do you have headaches? Where else is your pain? Of course it's in your head. But the implication that it's related to emotions and thoughts makes it somehow less real is really where we get into trouble. You know, I think, though, it's very, very difficult to get on top of that. I don't, I, I, I don't know how you do that. And so, for instance, I was speaking to someone today who has chronic pain, and, and she said, you know, Merle, every morning when I get up, I think to myself, you know, I just can't do this again. Uh, I'm not going to be able to get through the day. She runs a very successful business. um, And so she has to get out of bed. But she's like, every day I think to myself, I can't do it. I mean, how do I change that attitude? I mean, it's just Mm -hmm. so, the pain is just so overwhelming for me. Yeah, yeah. It's not an easy uh, I, there's no easy answer to what, what you, you're talking about, but uh, it, certainly if medications are in the picture, 
they need to be looked at very heavily because the medications, as it turns out, as I mentioned in the last segment, are making the pain worse. But but many people that I talk to are not on opioid medications, or if they take them, they take them very infrequently. So then it really becomes an, an attitude shift. Uh, we spend a lot of time in the book and at our center uh, teaching mindfulness practice. And mindfulness practice is noticing the pain, the experience of tightness, without judging it. So the, the first shift in thinking would be to change the narrative. You know, I can't do this. Well, yes, you can. I can't get out of bed. What if the bed was on fire? Of course I can get out of bed if the bed was on fire. So it's a lie. You know, the story that she tells herself is a lie. And those lies really impact how we feel and, and how we think and how we act. So uh, we talked at the break about cognitive behavioral therapies. I mean, that's one of the things we talk about in the book. It's really helping people tell themselves the truth and not doing these projections and these, uh, the, the term is catastrophization. We make things into catastrophes. We make them worse than they actually are. And again, people get mad at me because it sounds like I'm saying that they're in some way not valid. And that is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the, the reality is I have a strong sensation in my back. When I feel the sensation, sometimes I get really angry and I want to just scream at it. And I go to work every day and I do my job. And mostly when I'm engaged in my work, my pain really dissipates or, or disappears. So how to capitalize on the positive energy that, that's related to pain is really one of the key uh, intervention factors that, that we could teach people and that, that your friend could try. Uh, one other thing I'll mention is there's a therapy called acceptance commitment therapy, and that that's based in value. So yeah, you have pain, but what what's really important to you? Well, uh, I'm working. Well, you know, what is it about your work that's good? I love working. I love talking. You know, for me, I love t t treating patients. I love lecturing. I love educating people. I love interacting with staff. That's that's where the energy needs to be uh, uh, held, uh, not my back hurts and I'm frustrated and I'm such a loser and I'm getting so old and I can't do this and I can't do that. It's what's important and commit to, to action that gets me more in the direction of what's important. You, you know, I think the problem is, so I find as a therapist that yeah. it's the transitional period that creates the most problems for people. It's like, okay, I recognize now that these, you know, negative thoughts or defeated thoughts are not helping sure. me. Okay, I need to be more positive. So when I get up this morning, I'm going to try to have a more positive thought or through the day or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you begin to do that? Because I, I yeah. think that's where people get tripped up and they fail. Yeah, yeah. I, so, I think that's true. So certainly having realistic, realistic expectations and maybe keeping track of progress is good. I mean, the, the Jumpstart plan in the book really is about how do I get started? Uh, and we look uh, at a variety of areas and suggest that you begin in each of those areas. You know, take a look at your nutrition, take a look at your activity level, take a look at your thoughts, take a look at your feelings. And uh, uh, really meditation and mindfulness practice is a great way to get started at that. And, uh, you know, a lot of people come back and say, I can't meditate, I can't quiet my mind. 
mindfulness has nothing to do with quieting your mind. Mindfulness is noticing what's happening. If you notice that your mind is busy, that's a mindful practice. And what happens with training the brain, and, you, you know, your point is well taken. It takes time, but not decades. You know, we see changes in the brain chemistry, in the brain's ability to uh, communicate from one cell to another, and we can we can measure these with Short courses, three hours of meditation training causes changes in the way cells bud and communicate one with the other. So imagine what would happen if you commit 10 minutes each day for a week. You know, that's 70 minutes. Hmm. Anybody can do that. And it does take some courage and it does take uh, a commitment. You know, this is not going to be easy slam dunk and, I, and all of a sudden my pain is mm-hmm. gone. There's only one thing that does that and that's opioids and unfortunately they backfire big time. Right. So let's switch a little bit and talk about uh, my favorite topic which happens to be food. I always <laughs> like to talk about food unfortunately. So yeah. is there a, re- a relationship between what we eat and, and our pain? Yes. Uh, it's, it's pretty clear that there is uh, there's some data to support some of the things I'm going to tell you. Uh, it's it's not robust in some cases, but there are some basic principles around pain reduction as as it re- relate to what we ingest. And before I talk about food stuff, let's talk about tobacco products, including vape products and nicotine, all of which increase pain levels and decrease the ability of the opioid to to cause pain relief. So Did that increases pain level? Yes. Yes. So first Even, and foremost, smokers and Sorry. vapors need to quit. And that that should be high on the priority priority list. I mean, we've got data that says people with back pain who smoke have 20% greater pain. In another study, get this. They were trying to look at why somebody has acute pain turns into chronic pain. Nicotine was implied, implicated in that, uh, in that uh, evolution process. So that's, you know, I, I can't talk about toxins until I, I get that uh, on the table. Um, but what we're really looking at is inflammatory products, things that we ingest that cause inflammation in the cells, the lining of the cells, the, the blood supply, and the probably... I won't say the number one, but I'll say that the top five are sugar and whole grains that turn into sugar during metabolism. Uh, so wheat grains and gluten products uh, all turn into sugar. Sugar, sodas, uh, fruit, fresh fruit juices uh, loaded with sugar, high fructose in, in some cases. So... Um, very important to pay attention to the sugars in your diet. Preservatives and additives seem to make pain worse. Uh, so organic foods really have some benefit that don't that, that aren't uh, using uh, preservatives or additives. Uh, there are certain vegetables that appear to cause inflammation. These are called nightshade vegetables. So tomatoes, potatoes, eggplant uh, can trigger arthritis. Uh, and other pain conditions. Fried foods and uh, all those uh, artificial produced foods that have trans fats also promote inflammation. Um, Dairy for some people, uh, it really depends on your 
digestion, but uh, raw dairy products may be uh, problematic for people, uh, especially if they have GI problems. Um, and anything, any junk food, uh, you know, chips, sodas, candy, uh, fast food are uh, probably implicated in uh, causing increased pain. We'll take the other side of this. What can we do to decrease pain? Uh, well, again, doc, Dr. Paul, we, yeah. we, I'm break. really so sorry. We, we need to go into break. Okay. Um, I need to ask you one very quick question, and then we'll yeah. come back um, okay. to foods after the break. And that is, I, I just got to ask, so can I still have chocolate? Yeah, as a matter of fact, it's on the list of good foods. Now, dark chocolate, high cocoa uh, uh, content, uh, and limited, you know, not donuts, but uh, a square two or three of uh, dark chocolate, absolutely. Woohoo! Okay, so we have some good news. <laughs> That's right, made by day, right? So when we return, we're going to continue talking um, about food uh, with Dr. Paul, and um, I want to ask him a question about alcohol also. But then we're going to be talking about um, your teenagers and their access um, to pain medications, and also we're going to be talking about marijuana. So stay with us. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Where's your mom? What's she doing? You'd know if she was at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. You'd know she's enjoying a full day of activities program just for her interests, like art classes, volunteering, pet care, and card club. And she's home by dinner. And what's different is that Sarah Care actually has nursing care right there with her. So you'd know. Try one free day of care at Sarah Care. Call 330-451-6108. How's your mom? She's just fine at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. There is a distinct connection between your physical health and your spiritual health. You would be surprised at how closely the two go hand in hand. By taking care of your body, you take care of your spirit. And it works the other way, too. Honor God with what He gave you. Listen for the Divine Wellness Academy radio program with Troy Izmir. Tune in live every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. And be inspired to use your body for God's glory. We are surrounded by crises. Domestic violence, mental health issues, rape, suicide. Often, we feel alone if we are dealing with these issues ourselves, or we feel powerless to help others who are dealing with them. You don't have to feel alone. Listen for The Journey, Stories of Crisis and Hope with Jessica Pirro. The show is an open forum to share and get advice from others and guest experts and begin or continue the healing process. Listen live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to drmerrill at caughtbetweengenerations.com. Now, back to the show. 
Hi, I'm Dr. Merrill. Welcome back to Caught Between Generations. I'm here with Dr. Paul, who is the medical director at the Las Vegas Recovery Center. We've been talking to him about his book called The Pain Antidote, but I wanted to let you know he's also written A Day Without Pain, Pain Recovery, and Pain Recovery for Families. So when we left, we were talking about food, and I got some good news that I can still have dark chocolate, so he made my day. But uh, we've been talking about um, foods that cause pain. What are some foods? Are there foods that help you with pain? Yes. Um, These are somewhat logical. You know, uh, for example, drinking plenty of water, at least eight, ten ounce, sorry, ten, eight ounce glasses of water every day uh, flushes toxins out. We're trying to get rid of these inflammatory toxins uh, and assist the liver, which does most of the detoxification. Uh, Grass-fed beef and free-range chicken. I mean, these are more expensive, of course, but there really are benefits. The corn and grain uh, that are fed to uh, non-organic animals are full of omega-6 fatty acids, and those are the inflammatory things that we talked about in uh, in, uh, some of the the problem foods. Uh, Oily fishes have fatty we all know about omega-3 fish oil supplements, uh, but salmon and tuna and sardines and mackerel all contain these kinds of food. Cocoa, as you mentioned, uh, is, uh, is, has flavanol, and flavanol actually decreases inflammation. Not excess, but uh, uh, high cocoa, 60 to 70% cocoa uh, content seems to be uh, anti-inflammatory. There are certain fruits uh, and vegetables that decrease pain uh, in general. Cranberries, uh, red grapes, blueberries, and tart cherries uh, have pain-reducing properties, and there's different chemical explanations. Walnuts and almonds are, have uh, omega-3, so they're uh, felt to be pain-relieving. Chia seeds and other uh, um, seed uh, elements uh, also decrease pain. And in terms of vegetables, Think of the greenest of the vegetables, so watercress. They're called powerhouse veggies, watercress and spinach and parsley and kale, which I I can't get around kale, but uh, broccoli, arugula, and then uh, other sort of colorful fruit uh, uh, vegetables like red uh, peppers and cauliflower and carrots. So uh, some things that you can increase in your diet that are likely to cause a little less pain and things that you can avoid that are probably making the pain worse. What about uh, alcohol and wine, beer and wine, those types of things? You really want to know? (laughs) Yeah, that's why I asked the question. I know. Uh, (laughs) Alcohol probably is irritating to every cell of the body. Um, Certainly to excess worse than uh, an occasional glass of wine. Uh, Your cardiologist husband would tell you that uh, red wine is probably good for the heart, but that's really in serious moderation, Uh, no more than a glass uh, three or four times a week. But for the most part, alcohol has uh, uh, an inflammatory, irritating uh, component, and I recommend against it. Okay. So let's talk about uh, our children. Um, and talk about how adolescents, you know, um, and we see more and more addiction with them, you know, how they get access to these types of medications. I I certainly don't think they're being prescribed by physicians, or maybe that's not so. I don't know. Well, yeah, it's part of the problem. I I mean, I worry for our 
young folks uh, for a number of reasons, not the least of which is uh, exposure to, uh, to screens and, and uh, the, the light density in, in computer screens and TV and uh, movies, et cetera, and devices, you know, uh, are really not doing any good for the growing brain. Uh, but, you know, sticking to chemicals, uh, kids will use drugs, and we have data on this, kids use drugs in direct proportion to the risk or the danger that they perceive related to the drug. So what that means is that prescription drugs because my mom got them or my dad or my grandma got them from a doctor and they come in a prescription bottle, appear to be safe. And that's one of the reasons why young people have uh, skyrocketed in their use of opioids. Uh, we're going to talk about marijuana next. As we move towards legalization, the message to the young people is this is no big deal. And kids, when they perceive that it's no big deal, are going to use it more. And when they use it, it damages their brain. So that's really um, scary. Yeah, what what are the symptoms of addiction, uh, opioid addiction in adolescence? I mean, what are the red flags that would concern me as a parent? Well, I think you could look for the effects of the drug, so dilated pupils and uh, uh, shakiness and uh, rapid speech could be uh, worrisome related to some kind of stimulant drug and the sleeping and uh, sedation and, and decreased in sharpness uh, would, would be related to some of the, the depressant drugs and some of the opioids, uh, including heroin. Oftentimes, if you're looking for those symptoms, it'll be too late. Uh, and what really ought to be done is to look at who my child is and, and notice if there are shifts in attention and shifts in uh, attitude and shifts in uh, participation in activities in school. Now, uh, you know, of course, adolescents, by definition, they're becoming individuals and they do separate from the family in, in some significant ways. But really, a, a shift that's unexplained ought to be attended to. And, and what I really mean by that is what's going on? And not uh, take uh, a cavalier approach that that's just, uh, you know, that's just him being him. Because uh, we often see, uh, it's like uh, the, the drug addiction comes up through the rearview mirror. You don't really notice it unless you're really paying very close attention. And I suggest that parents pay very close attention to their, to their child's behavior. So one of the things we talked about is that sometimes children get access to these drugs in in their own home, in the medicine yeah. cabinet. And sometimes yep. what happens is someone has, you know, a root canal or whatever, and, mm -hmm. and they have these opioids, and they actually may take one or none and literally forget they're in the cabinet, which, is, which may be part of the problem. But yeah. assuming that I have it and, and, and I'm very sensitive to it now and I want to get rid of this medication, how do I do that? So it's not uh, in my house a, anymore. Yeah, it's a, a bit of a problem. There are take-back programs as part of the government's response to the opioid epidemic. They're different in different communities, so you could inquire either with your local pharmacy or with a local police station because they often have take-back programs. Uh, that's probably the best way to dispose of these medications, but not everybody has access uh, in their community 
it's not the best idea to flush them down the toilet because, of course, we're getting all the fish and uh, ultimately us high from the dissolving of those drugs in the sewer system. So if you're going to dispose, mix the pills or the substances with coffee grounds, and that denatures them. Uh, you can then put them into the garbage uh, safely, and they cannot be used. Really? Coffee grounds? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so um, let's talk about marijuana. So what's the difference between medical marijuana and recreational marijuana? You sure you want to get me started on this, Meryl? <laughs> I really do, because it's an issue yeah. that I, no, I worry about a lot. Yeah. So yeah. there is no such thing as medical marijuana. Medicine, we, we have legislated marijuana. Medication is produced under standards by a company, and we can measure the dose, we can regulate the dose. It's prescribed in that dosage form by a physician or a, a prescriber, a physician's assistant or nurse practitioner, and it is dispensed by a pharmacist. We have marijuana being dispensed by what are called bud tenders. These are kids, <laughs> stoners, who are trained for 20 minutes or maybe a few hours into which strain does what, we have no idea what the potency is of this drug, none. We do know that the THC level in the drug that's being offered now in these medical dispensaries is about 80% pure THC compared to when I was smoking marijuana in my day, uh, about the five or, or uh, to maybe maximum of 15 or 20%. We, we, we have all these edible products, which are made from extracts in this high THC content. And if you've ever seen any of the, uh, if you've been to a marijuana store, or if you look at their advertisements, they look like gummy bears and they look like energy drinks and they look like soda pop. They look like benign substances. And who are they being marketed to, I ask you? They're being marketed to children. And children are seeing this and they're getting the message that this is medicine and it's safe and it's okay for you to do this, even though allegedly kids are not getting access to dispensaries. You and I know that if kids want to get access to these drugs, they're going to get them. We have really substantial data that says the earlier that we put this drug into a young brain, the more effect on the development of that brain. So I have some grave concerns just about this medical marijuana movement, but much more importantly, I mean, the medical marijuana movement is about one thing only, and that is money. This is a high-priced sales job to our communities so that marijuana can be legalized and sold in stores for a very high profit margin. They are not, uh, it's just not what it's it's uh, been told to us to be. And if you go to Colorado, if you go to Oregon and talk to the people that live there, you'll find that that's really so, that they're, you know, you can't go down the street without smelling marijuana in those states where marijuana is now legal. So I have some major concerns about what's coming. Uh, you know, this high potency strains of t high THC that are going to be readily available to people over 21 are going to be equally available to these young youngsters. Uh, and I can tell you that, you know, there's this debate about is marijuana a gateway drug? I, there's not one heroin addict in my treatment center under the age of 25 who did not start smoking cigarettes and start smoking marijuana uh, before the age of 15. 
Always yeah. that's okay. the case. All right, we're going to have to go to a break, but when uh, we come back, I I have one more question I want to ask you about this, and then I want to spend the last minutes that we have talking about your suggestions for uh, family caregivers of people with chronic pain. You bet. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. At Sarah Care, we provide daytime activities and health related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities and home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H-Care.com. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, it's Dr. Merrill, and welcome back. So I want to tell you that if you were listening before the break, we were talking to Dr. Paul about this legalization of marijuana. And offline during the break, as he and I were discussing this, I want to repeat to you that something I feel very strongly about, um, and I try not to have personal opinions on the show. But I can tell you that as a therapist um, who at one point did many home visits with children, not seniors, but when I was working with children and their families, um, it was very rare that I would walk into a house where someone was addicted to some type of substance, um, where that substance was not being shared with the children in the home. Um, It just doesn't happen that way. Um, that there's that separation, uh, especially with something like smoking marijuana. It's in the air. The children are there in the home. Um, so this is a very, very serious issue that, that I think we need to look at very carefully. And Dr. Paul, you were talking about um, that 
you know, people say that it's not uh, it's not a gateway drug. And in Ohio, we have these um, advertisements where there's a woman that says, oh, you know, my daughter has this disease and she was in yeah. such terrible pain. And if she didn't have this marijuana, you know, this would be terrible. So yeah. the implication is, oh, you terrible people who don't vote That's for right. this, you know. That's right. Yeah. Very misleading and very, very well financed. Uh, you know, seven million dollar campaign. I think in Colorado to to uh, release marijuana legally, and the citizens, when they were polled in Colorado, said, "If I knew what it was really going to be like, I, I would have voted against it." So, hopefully, Ohio and in my state, Nevada, we're going to come up with a, a plan. Uh, there, there's there's a serious effort to push back against this, but I, uh, you know, I'm I'm not going to say we've lost the war, but I think we're in danger, and we need to step up and step up in our communities to to speak about this. Yeah, I think one of the things that you said that um, is very, very important and that I think that people don't understand is that these drugs can create actual changes in a, in a developing brain. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's unquestionable. Uh, IQ levels are down. Attention span is down. Uh, uh, motivation is definitely impacted by long-term use of marijuana. And uh, I was just listening to a story on NPR about driving. They're trying to figure out in Colorado who can safely drive, who can safely operate machinery if they're smoking marijuana legally. It's very complicated, and we do not have answers to this. We've not thought this through. Right. Well, I've just had that discussion with other healthcare providers, mm-hmm. and that is, you know, we all have these regulations that say if you come into work um, and infect your high, I mean, however we legally word this, you know, right. you, you have to leave. You know, what are we going to do if you live in a state where now this is legal? Whoa, I mean, you have, right. you, I mean, you have nurses and physicians coming mm-hmm. in. I, I mean, it's ver- it's really scary. I think you're right. I think we're really in for it, and uh, I don't know how it's going to turn out. It's it's an exciting time to live, but it's a little scary, especially on behalf of the youth. Right. So while we're talking about youth, let me let me ask you this question, and that is, how do you approach the subject of substance abuse um, with with your teenagers? I mean, there's these things we know are called farm parties, which are P H A R M, where yep. you know kids come and they there's a huge beaker and they just throw whatever ever drugs they had access to in a beaker, and then kids right. just take them, not knowing what right. they are. I mean, how right. how do you counsel kids? How do you talk to them about this? Uh, it, it's it's work uh, because you can't lecture to kids uh, you can't scare kids uh, you, you can't scare them straight right we, we know that now uh, what we can do is we can be as truthful and upfront with our kids as we are able and that is I love you I'm concerned about you and then become prepared with uh, consequences you know you can't live in my house and smoke weed that's it so you're going to have to be subjected to a urine test because it's not uncommon, of course, for a youngster to lie about what what they're doing. So, it, it, but it it's really all about just uh, almost matter of fact. You know, it's really about this is not going to be okay in our life. So, if that's how you want to live your life, you're going to have to find another way to do that. Now, the real challenge is that parents really aren't 
often aren't equipped to, to, to set that boundary, truly. So without the ability to set the boundary, there's really nothing that a parent can do to impact a, a, a youngster's use of substances. It, there has to be consequences and limits and boundaries set around behaviors that, uh, that, are, that are held to, uh, the standards that are held to uh, in, in that family. So I would just say that I agree with you, but the, the consequences, you're right, have to be something you can actually enforce. Yes. So whether kids are two years old or whether they're 18, mm-hmm. I've heard parents threaten with consequences yeah. that children knew darn well they were never going right. to be able to enforce yeah. or would be willing to enforce. Yeah, and um, that's the biggest mistake. The biggest mistake is to make a threat that you are not able or willing to carry through with. So it's really not about threatening. It's about setting limits and boundaries. And that's a skill set that people can train for. You know, they can really, uh, I would recommend if, you, if you're a parent and uh, concerned about your kid, or if you ha- are planning on raising a child, that you get some education about the proper way to talk to your children about these drugs and the proper way to set firm limits and boundaries around behavior. Good advice. Let me switch back to seniors for a minute, Um, because one of the things you talked about, um, and and actually, let's just talk about adults, is that when people have chronic pain, um, sometimes they're very frustrated, but sometimes they're very angry. And one of the things I see um, with with my seniors anyway, who are suffering from chronic pain, is that anger gets directed at the caregiver, at the family mm-hmm. caregiver, mm-hmm. Uh, which who is usually a spouse, sometimes an mm-hmm. adult child. And then it's they get, they're very frustrated because they're like, oh, you know, he speaks to me so badly. I get so angry when my husband, wife, whoever it is, speaks mm-hmm. to me that way. But I know they're in chronic pain, so I know I really shouldn't respond and I should, I should feel bad for them. I mean, yeah. what's your response to that? Well, it's really a tough problem. I mean, it, what really uh, comes out of this is, once again, it's about telling the truth with love and support. So, uh, you know, I know you're in pain. And when you talk to me like that, it causes me distress. And I'd like you not to talk to me like that. If you talk to me like that, then I'm going to walk out of the room. Uh, I'm simply not going to put up with it. Now, what's that going to do to the person in pain? It's not going to make them feel good, and they're probably not going to say, thank you, I didn't know that, and now I'll never do it again. <laughs> they're, they're likely <laughs> to say, how can you leave me? But when we set boundaries, we, we really empower ourselves and, and move ourselves towards a, a form of recovery. I mean, we have a, a, one of the workbooks I wrote is Pain Recovery for Families, because how do I live and find some comfort in my life with my partner or my husband or my wife or my parent or my kid who has this chronic pain condition. And it's a real challenge. Uh, the, the term is codependence. You know, if I, if I need you to be okay, for me to be okay, I'm never going to be okay. <laughs> you know, I have to find my balance in my life. And I will be better equipped. If I take really excellent care of myself, I will be better equipped to take good care of you. Dr. Paul, we are almost out of time. I, I never have enough chance to talk to you and ask That's all the questions time. I would yeah. have. It's okay. It went fast. So, 
<laughs> give us your uh, contact information. Uh, we were talking offline about a PBS special you just did. Tell us about it. Yes, uh, I had a really exciting opportunity to get this message out. Uh, PBS uh, produced and uh, aired a special called The Pain Antidote. Uh, it aired in the last week in August, so some of you may have seen it on Pledge Drive. Uh, I think it's available online, uh, and they will have a DVD version of it. And it really is, in in an hour, uh, the message that we've been talking about uh, that parallels the book. Uh, my website is drmelpole.com. Just Up and LasVegasRecovery.com is uh, the treatment center uh, website. You can call Las Vegas Recovery at uh, 800-790-0091. That's 800-790-0091. Thank you so much for being with us today, and thanks for a lot of great information. Thank you. Thanks, thanks, thanks for the opportunity. Take good care. Oh. You too. Uh, I hope you'll watch us on Facebook Live. It's usually on Friday mornings at uh, 9 o'clock or 9.30 Eastern Standard Time. And continue your emails to me at drmerrill at quotebetweengenerations.com. We try to answer those emails as quickly as they come in. And so we really appreciate it. And if you would review us on Facebook Live, Caught Between Generations, I really would appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. Take care of yourself. Thank you for tuning in to Cut Between Generations with Dr. Mel Griff. Our program is live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We hope to see you here next week.